This is Michael Boss, the host and producer of Tales of the Magic Skagit. This is Michelle Kelvin, Adeney, owner of Beaver Tales Coffee, Laconer, Washington. And this is Tony Kladsky's kayakist, owner of Beaver Tales Coffee. Welcome to Beaver Tales, a podcast series by and about the first peoples of the Skagit Valley, brought to you by Meyer Sign. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this upcoming episode. In this final installment of our three-part podcast episode, Where the Language Lives, we start off with a story from Janet Yoder's book that exemplifies Bai Hilbert's vision for Lushootseed and her ability to speak that vision into existence. It's the story of the Healing Hearts Symphony. We'll also hear about Robbie Rudin's passion for Lushootseed, and we'll hear him recite one of Taksha Blue's favorite stories, Lady Laos Cleans House, in Lushootseed, with translation by Janet. We'll close with a poem dedicated to Vi Hilbert by Father Patui. We hope this conclusion to our podcast episode will inspire you to learn more about the Lushootseed language and the indigenous cultures of the magic Skagit and Salish Sea that have spoken it for millennia. One of the things that I wanted to talk about, you know, going back to the book, I thought one of the things that really revealed to me so much about uh, Vi Hilbert's vision and her energy and the way she was able to <laughs> actualize things. I'm thinking of comments Tony has made about prayer. Um, it was the story of the Healing Hearts uh, Symphony. And part of what I really liked about Janet, and this gets back to uh, your uh, talents as a writer, is this was an example, along with some other stories that you told, in which you actually bring us into that scene. And you would go back and forth between what was happening in that moment and connections with other moments from the past. And then you would go back and forth between the two, and I was so enthralled by that uh, approach. But uh, tell us the story of uh, the Healing Heart Symphony as uh, you relate it in uh, Where the Language Lives. First of all, <laughs> we never imagined that Vi was going to call us up and one by one and say, I'm going to commission a symphony and the Seattle Symphony is going to perform it. And, and we all, you know, you never say no to Vi, and you know that if she's doing anything, it's because she's guided by her ancestors, by her parents, and by other ancestors, including this one from this place. And she said that, and we just kind of thought, huh, wow. <laughs> but she was guided, and she knew she wanted to do this. I think, actually, she'd had the idea for longer I think it was percolating for a longer time. And then finally, she met a composer and through, through someone who had, done, who had done some volunteer work for her, she had met a composer. And he had, per, he had composed an oratorio. He was Canadian, is Canadian. And he had composed an oratorio called uh, Spirit of the Haidegui from up north. And so they met, and at the end of their six or seven hour long meeting, <laughs> she handed him 
two recordings, and one was Chief Seattle's Thunder Power song, and the other was Vi's beloved cousin, Petus, Isidore Tom's healing song. And she said, you need to listen to these, you need to be inspired by these, and you need to take the spirit of these into the piece that you compose, but you are not to have the pieces expressed directly in the piece you compose. They are to inspire it and carry it. I always think of that as a canoe also, that, that those powerful songs are the canoe that carry the, the symphony. And so this composer went home and he took the tapes and he went off by himself and he listened to those songs and then he put the tapes away and he began to compose uh, a symphony of four movements, and it was just phenomenal. Vi would call up and say, okay, our, our composer, Bruce Riddell, has the first two movements ready for us to listen to, so we're all gonna gather at my house and we're gonna listen. And he would have a, it would be like a synthesizer version of it, and, and we would listen, and, and it really, was amazing how it captured spirit. The music itself captured spirit of these these songs, and then you know she'd announce again, and the Seattle Symphony is going to going to perform it, and Gerard Schwartz is going to conduct it, and we'd all go, wow, how's that going to happen? <laughs> but Vi got in touch with the Seattle Symphony. She spoke with a woman named Patricia Kim. And she said, uh, you know, the symphony is inspired by these spirit songs. The symphony needs to be heard in Seattle at Benaroya Hall by your orchestra conducted, you know, by your maestro, Gerard Schwartz. And Patricia Kim told people later, this woman has... This woman has no idea how we plan our schedules six or seven years in advance. We don't, you know, there's there's no chance it's going to be, you know, performed in, in the next year or whatever. That's not going to happen. And the next thing you know, Vi is calling up Patricia Kim again, and then they meet, and then something shifts, and then Patricia Kim gets the entire score because he, the composer has finished it and puts it in the hands of Gerard Schwartz and said, I think you need to look at this. Patricia Kim had her own serious problems and being with Vi and experiencing this music helped her through a difficult time. And because of that, I think she understood at a deeper level that it was important for this music to be heard because the music is about healing. And I believe the whole world needed to be healed, the whole world needed to hear this symphony. And Patricia Kim got that and managed to you know, get the score into, into Gerard Schwartz's hands and he was off in Europe, he took the score and he was off in Europe and conducting something over there. And then he called Patricia Kim and said, we're going to do this, and I'm going to conduct it. Now, how did Vi make that happen? And how do we get to hear it? Ah, well, it was performed. The premiere was in May of, of 2006, and then it was not heard publicly again until <laughs> November. 
when um, I reached out to the composer because I had finished the book in this year, in 2022, and I wanted to give him a copy. But I wasn't sure of his address. I, so I emailed him and they said, I, I'd like to send you this book if, and if you'd make sure I have your current address. And he wrote back and he said, it's so interesting that you wrote to me just now because I've been talking in, in communication with a conductor of the orchestra at Western Washington University. It's a student orchestra there and he's, in, he's deciding whether or not they're gonna do this piece. And he said, I think they probably are and I think the concert will be November 9th. So I immediately put the word out and, and the Lachutzine family, which of course includes a lot of people, but especially in, includes Lois's daughter, Jill, who's the director of Lachutzine Research. And, and so it did come to pass. This conductor decided to do it. The students took it on in a phenomenal way. It's not an easy piece and they took it on. They worked and worked and worked. And some folks from Lummi came and helped them with the um, hand drum and rattle, the traditional rattle, and worked with the percussionist, but talked to the whole orchestra about how the piece, how they needed to approach the piece. And then uh, Jill, vice granddaughter and Lois's daughter, came up and she, um, there are Lachutzied words in the final movement, and so Jill was the one who spoke those words in the performance, and she came up for rehearsal and also addressed the, the orchestra. And these young people, they were so inspiring. I mean, Lois and Robbie and I were all there. It was just a phenomenal evening. And, and it felt like, like somehow the work it now is, is getting a, another, another life. And then yesterday I got an email from the composer and he said, I've been contacted by someone from Washington DC who wants to do a Zoom uh, meeting with me to talk about the Healing Hearts Symphony. <laughs> so I think, I think there are going to be more performances of this beautiful work that Vi commissioned. And spoke and, into existence. And, yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and against all odds, I mean, oh, <laughs> you know, it, it, which is wonderful. It's Vi. It's so perfectly Vi to go against all odds and make it happen. she never studied yeah. music. <laughs> no, there was the issue of the tala. There was no tala. No. Yeah. There was no money right. to pay the composer. There was no money to mount the performance. And, and did that stop her? No. And she had the vision that there needed to be a documentary made about the making of the <laughs> Healing Hearts Symphony. But there was no money to do that either. But again, did that stop her? No, it didn't. And so footage was shot. She managed to get it together. And footage was shot during the making of the symphony, the rehearsal, and the performance. And then that footage sat for many, many years. And only recently, Lushutseed Research, the nonprofit organization that Vi founded, was able to begin to work with the man that shot that footage mm -hmm. and with um, the Lushutseed family documentarian, Katie Jennings. And they are pulling it together. And I believe that the um, premiere of the documentary will be March 29th at Seattle University. Mm -hmm. but. We will get more information about that. Um, and it, as soon as I get information, I'll, oh, I'll awesome. write to, to you, Michael, and you can forward to whoever you'd like to forward Wouldn't that to. Wouldn't that be amazing to do something like that up here? 
It would be yeah. great. You know, it would be great. Yeah, where we could <clears throat> have that documentary shown here. There, there, Lincoln, there, there's your task. Lincoln Theater. Yeah. Or, 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 or Swedish. Or Swedish. But, yeah. but, you know, I think, I, yeah. I, I think it's it's going to make its way. I think the documentary is going to make its way, and I think the symphony is going to be performed again. Also, when the Seattle Symphony performed it, they did not al allow a recording of that to go out. Right. They're very um, particular about recordings, and they don't they record live performances, but they don't release those. Mm -hmm. When they're going to release a recording, they have to do it. With, with no audience, it has to be, mm -hmm. and th that didn't happen. So they didn't allow, and so now things are, for whatever reason, like <laughs> things are opening up and things are happening. So that that's a live topic, <laughs> ongoing. Awesome. Stay tuned. How exciting. <laughs> Janet, I've got uh, another couple of questions here for you. And one is, um, you know, I think, in, uh, you know, when I think about a 30-year relationship, I think that's a, a remarkable thing in itself, regardless of who it's with. but. Thinking back to your relationship with uh, Shibdu, um how do you feel that that changed your life? <laughs> and we, th I mean, that's there's a lot to that. I'm moving the microphone closer to Robbie. Well, that's too. good because he's he's going to be on deck here shortly. Yeah. So I think <clears throat> there, I can't even explain it. I feel really blessed that I walked into her classroom in Denny Hall at the University of Washington in 1978. I think I immediately knew there was something happening in that room that wasn't happening anywhere else um, because of who Vi was, but also that she had attracted tribal people into her classroom. And some of those tribal people were not Lushootseed-speaking tribes. She had people from the Plains Yakima. and Yakima and who spoke other languages. But at the University of Washington, I think they felt like they were who they were recognized fully when they walked into Vi's classroom. So there was that presence, and it immediately made it a really rich environment. And then we did our bone game in class, and it was like really like the people that knew the bone game, oh boy, <laughs> that was a whole different thing than the rest of us who were just kind of going, oh boy, you know, and trying to cheer our team on. Well, we, you know, I still, I still can't figure it out. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, because you can't. <laughs> anyway, it just opened up a world, and I brought Robbie in, and Robbie's one of these people that learns languages easily and is. Brain. I think all of us got from Vi that when you're studying the shoot seat, yes, it's a language and you're studying it and it has a grammatical structure and it has, you can analyze it and the linguists analyze it to death, we might say sometimes, but anyway. Um, but there's also this way that she let you know that the language was completely linked with the culture, with the traditions, with the stories, that, that the words are not just words, they carry more than that. The sounds are not just sounds, they carry, they carry the, it all carries the culture. So um, it's, it's just inextricably interwoven. And so then we, we got to experience through Vi in, in the way that she felt was appropriate and that she approved of, we got to experience different things about the culture. And once you've done anything with Vi, it just opens up your world. You'll never be the same person you were before you met her. 
in my opinion. And um, <clears throat> I just happened to meet this woman and fell in love with her at first sight, and uh, which led me from my native Texas to the Pacific Northwest. And I thought, I was very curious about what had happened here in history because I knew the treaties were signed in the 1850s and this is not so long ago. So I thought uh, when Janet told me about her Lushutzeed class that this was something I was really interested in and that it, wouldn't it be polite as somebody who was an outsider to uh, learn something about the native language. And then when I first heard Lushutzeed out of Takshablu's mouth, this was uh, a thing of absolute beauty and something that was so alien to my tongue that it was going to be mind-expanding to delve into it. And also that there would be there would be worlds in the words, and there are. And it's just, um, for anybody who's studying the Schutzseed now, and so many young tribal people are studying it and really carrying it forward, um, there's just, um, there are so many resonances with the land, with the names of people, with um, um, the spirits of the, of the mountains, with the, power of the, these powerful people who have lived here always. Um, and then there was Takshablu. Takshablu, uh, she sometimes uh, said her name jokingly, it's like she talks you blue. She will talk your ear off. But we just started uh, from the classes. The classes were so much fun. The students would talk to each other in Lushutsid and we talked to Vi on the shoot seat, and what questions we asked would trigger her memories, and she would come up with a new words for things that uh, had not been spoken before in the shoot seat, but that made perfect sense. Um, so ultimately, uh, along with Janet, just a great friendship developed, and we just enjoyed so much conversing with each other that we got to the point where we could have a conversation on the telephone in Lushutzeed. And it just was, a, it was kind of like having a secret language with your friend. You know, you've got a really good friend and you have this secret language. And it was a time when um, the language was really in a desperate uh, situation. So there wasn't any practical purpose in learning Lushutzeed. <clears throat> it seemed like it was a dying language. But, um, and I think Janet's right, that Ivai would be shocked, pleasantly shocked, surprised at where the language is now and how so many tribal people have um, used their resources wisely to bring out the language and tie it to the culture. So, um, <clears throat> and of course I got volunteered for a lot of projects. And one thing, one, th one project, I remember was um, Vi set us out to all write a piece about the earth is our first teacher. The earth is our mother and first teacher. And so <clears throat> I wrote a piece among the many students who wrote a piece because we got volunteered to do so. Uh, I wrote a piece about um, 
my brother and his pet armadillo. And, and uh, because my brother, who died when he was 13 and I was 16, he was kind of my teacher because he was tied in, he was a nature boy. He was the one who had animals. He, he could whisper to armadillos and he had a snake pit that shocked all the neighborhood girls because he would take them into our little playhouse and show them his snake pit, which was writhing with all kinds of non-venomous snakes. Um, anyway, when he died, I had to kind of take on um, what I should have learned from him in the beginning. His younger brother, you don't always learn from your younger brother, uh, <clears throat> but he became um, my elder brother when he passed to the other world. So anyway, for this story, I translated um, Deep in the Heart of Texas into the shoot seed. <laughs> we just had that kind of fun. Robbie, I'm going to uh, ask a favor of you, and yeah. uh, you can blame your uh, your wife for putting this idea in my head. Uh, but I was uh, going to see if you would be willing to read from us uh, for us uh, Lady Laos Cleans House okay. and uh, well, read it in Lucian C. Lady Laos was by signature story. She told it um, everywhere, and it mystified a lot of her audiences why the story was so important to her, and. Uh, she also, one of the assignments she gave was to develop your own Lady Laos story after having heard it many times in her telling. And um, I remember, I, I, one thing she told us was, should seem was very laconic. It was, I uh, used few words to say a universe of concepts. And so I did a story that went just like this. Lady Laos lived there and one day she got, no, Lady Laos was a sponge. And one day she got self-absorbed. That's the end of Lady Laos. So um, <clears throat> I, along with a lot of other students, memorized the Lady Laos story. So Janet, maybe you can do this interlinearly. So as I say a, a line in the shirt seed, you can translate it. Sounds good. And this was Elizabeth. Elizabeth Christ told uh, it to Layla. Up to Layla. Lady Laos lived there in that great big house all alone. Then she took it. And she swept it, that great big house. There was lots of dirt. When she got to the very middle of the house, she got lost. That was the end of Lady Laos. That's all. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ruffy. Um, my friend said it's a story, and she carried it all over the world. And if you didn't get it or understand it, why is my mother telling this story about a louse? Why is that in her repertoire? And my mother would just, now this is what... Uh, we did, different people have different ways of doing their stories. 
But accordingly, my grandparents and my mother never told you what the story meant. You are the listener. You hear it. You have a brain. And either you hear it here or not, and it's okay. You may hear it. Oh, she's telling a story. You may not get it. And it's okay. You didn't get it. You're not stupid. You just simply don't understand. This story has this many layers. And one day, when you get it, you can tell the story. Well, I think I'm going to close with a poem. And this, by the way, <clears throat> comes from uh, a book that Janet Yoder edited, Writings About Vi Hilbert, uh, by her friends. I think this was published in uh, 1992. And uh, it's a poem, Tak Shiblu, uh, written by Pat Tui. Perhaps you could explain who oh, uh, Pat Tui oh, is. You may know Pat Tui. Very well. Father Pat worked at Swinomish for many, many years, and he um, he's now at Seattle University, but he has a deep connection to the people right here in, in this place, and has, I would say, spiritually tended in his way to, to people here, and also he's received much of this, his spirit from this place. He and Vi were special, special friends. Vi always announced that she was going to take eight lovers, and one of them was going to be Father Pat. <laughs> That's probably not very Catholic. But anyway, Father, Father Tui is, is a marvelous, marvelous person. And we are eternally grateful for him in this world. And a speaker of Lushootseed. And a speaker of Lushootseed. And so we will close with uh, Pat's uh, homage in this poem to uh, Takshablu. She moves with a certain grace among all peoples. Her eyes are clear. They shine out with the purpose of a vision that brings treasures of knowledge from the past into our present. Her heart embraces what is true and lasting. There is no limit to the energy of her mind and heart. My mother wraps herself every evening in the wool shawl that Vi gave her. Taksha Blue walks in a deliberate manner she learns and teaches with a gentle discipline, the gift of years, seeking what her heart loves. Taksha Blue, my teacher, my friend, she remembers the stories. Her story will be remembered. And I guess the best thing I can say in closing, besides thanking all of you for being here and making this a wonderful way to start a new year, is that I'm very pleased that what we're doing here today can add to and continue that story. It is a wonderful story. And if you're looking for heroes in the magic gadget, if Taksha Blue isn't on your list, well, <laughs> you need to add her. Guys, thanks so much. It was wonderful. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Beaver Tales. This is Michael Boss. Michelle Kelvin. And Don Clavisky. Since there's no word in Lushootseed for goodbye, we'll say until later instead. Hoyt. Hoyt.